0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. And good morning! Man, I'm excited to share some time with you today. I know what you're thinking. I shouldn't be out on stage yet. It's a little early, but I'm out here for a good reason. It's Baptism Sunday today, which is so exciting if you're brand new with us, here's what baptism looks like. Baptism is this ancient expression of this life that we're encountering with God. And uh, the way that it plays out is we've got these, these big, we call them baptistries. They're technically horse troughs, but we don't talk about that here. We've got this baptistries, which are way cooler than the ones you had in your church growing up, and they're full of warm water because we love you. They're full of warm water. And what you do is you come up on, you come up here during worship a little bit later. You'll come up and, uh, and you go under the water, which represents that you're dying to the life you lived when you were by yourself, living on your own for yourself. And You raise up out of the water, and it represents this new life that you found with God, that you raise up to new life with God and with Jesus, and it's this really powerful time of transformation. And it's this expression that God has given us as a church community to say, you know what? I'm done living by myself and for myself. I'm now living with God and for God in this beautiful partnership. And so you're going to see friends coming up. I think we've got 12 or so people getting baptized between our two services. You'll see people coming up to get baptized, and we'll celebrate along with them as we sing. And you might be here, and partway through today, you recognize, you know what? I don't live on my own and by myself and for myself anymore. I live with God in partnership with Him and for Him, and I want to come and get baptized. And if that's you today, I'm going to invite you. Come on forward, and we've got towels for you. We've got a shirt you can put on over your own shirt. We'll walk you through baptism, and then we would invite you, even if it's spontaneous today to come on forward and, and join us in baptism. So it's going to be a really, really special time. And that's just one of the many exciting things going on here this week at New Life. Let me tell you a few more exciting things because sometimes I think you don't get to be, uh, you don't get to be like a mouse in my pocket hearing, pack, pack packet, pocket, hearing all the things that I hear. So just let me tell you this week, I had some friends get engaged. They're sitting over here. Some friends got engaged this week, which is exciting. So I love it seeing people in our church. They knew we're starting this brand new teaching series, Love Actually, and they thought, well, that seems like the perfect way to kick off the series by getting engaged. So I'm happy for you guys. Take notes. This is going to be good. You're going to like this. Uh, this week, our executive pastor, Angela, and myself are heading to a conference. We were invited to this executive pastor, lead pastor conference. Uh, and get this. The organization that's putting it on said, we believe so much in you guys that we want to pay for your, uh, your registration and airfare to the conference. So, it's a three-part conference that happens, and they gave us about $6,000 to go to this conference free of charge because they believe in this church and in what God's doing through this church. So that's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Ron is also heading to a conference this week. Uh that's also free with the Willow Creek Association for the Global Leadership Summit that we host here in the summer. That's exciting. Uh, and get this, life groups start up this week. So that's very, very exciting. Uh, we've got life groups starting up today, and this week we've got our Wednesday night journey through the book of Galatians starting up this Wednesday night. So if you signed up for Mac, you're gonna want to be here on Wednesday night for that. Woo! That's a lot. And we haven't even started preaching yet. So get yourself ready. You're going to want to grab out of your program your Start Here card. That'll give you—it'll um, give you uh, your access to us. It's kind of your all-access pass to connect with new life, and uh, we want to be a resource for you. So if you fill that card out, we'll be passing baskets at the end of our time together. And if we've earned your trust, I would just ask you, drop the card in the basket when it's passed. Uh, you'll also in there have some teaching notes. You're going to want to grab those. They've got the Bible verses we're looking at. They've got some fill-in-the-blanks. We're laying out two different views of— Uh, relationships that both promise to point us to the same place, but actually go in two different directions. And so it's a whole paradigm switch that we're talking about today. So you're going to want to get that out as well, because we're talking about about love, love actually, and asking this question, what does love actually look like? Because the truth is, love is a funny word. You know, I, I love my wife. I genuinely love my wife, and I love the Chicago Bears. What do you do with that? It was funny. I was snowboarding for my birthday, and, uh, and I came back without any casts on, so praise the Lord for that. Yeah, yeah. You're all surprised. I know. I was snowboarding, and I saw a Bears fan, and, the, you know, being me, I said, hey, go Bears! And he said, yeah, go Bears! And he said, my favorite season for the Bears is the offseason. And if you're a Bears fan, you know why. We won three games this year, so right now we're undefeated in the offseason, and that feels pretty good. But I love my wife. I love the Chicago Bears. I love my kids, but not the same way I love my wife or the Chicago Bears. I love Super Burritos for me Pueblo, but not the same way I love my wife or my kids or the Chicago Bears. Love is an interesting phrase, isn't it? We all want love. We all think about love. I mean, love is the stuff of poems and and late night bad decisions. Uh, love, Love is the stuff of— Of the greats. I mean, think about it. Shakespeare and Britney Spears, they all talk about love. Love is a beautiful, powerful, here's the word, thing. But what is this thing called love, and how do we understand it? Any one of us who's ever been in a relationship, ever been married, or wants to be married, knows that we want certain things out of love. We want happily ever after. We want We want a relationship where we grow closer together as time goes on. We want, we want the, we want to be that one that beats all the stats, you know? There's a couple in our church, I don't know if they're here right now, but they're going on, I think, like 68 years of marriage. And we all want to be that couple, don't we? Yeah. But how do we get there? It's kind of hit and miss, and so the question becomes, how do, how do we figure out how to get what we really want? Because we seem to be missing it. And when I say we, I'm talking about people in the church and people outside of the church. There's an organization called the Barna Research Group. And, and Barna came out with a, a survey recently that said that, that Jesus followers, people inside the church, and people who wouldn't consider themselves Jesus followers— have the same rate of divorce almost exactly these days. So it's not like this is just a church thing or an outside of church thing. This is an everybody thing. We all want certain things out of love, and yet about half of us are not getting the very thing we want. And so it led me to a theory a number of years ago that maybe we don't actually know what love is. That maybe we're actually starting at the wrong starting place— on a journey of love. And you know, if you start at the wrong starting place, it doesn't really matter how far you walk. You're going to walk to a different destination than you ultimately want to get to. And if you're not getting the payoff, the purpose, the plan that you want in your relationship, then maybe, just maybe, you're starting from the wrong spots. My wife and I love each other deeply. We're We're about 10 and a half years into marriage now and very much love it. But we, let me tell you very clearly, we started with a fundamental misunderstanding of what love looked like in marriage. And about a year in, neither of us was getting what we wanted out of marriage, but we were committed to this thing called marriage. And so we created a safe place to ask some dangerous questions about what we were doing in this relationship. And as a church, I think that's what we were called to be. We're called to be a safe place to ask dangerous questions that might lead us to some very different answers than we've been getting everywhere else. And so my wife and I started asking, well, if we're not getting what we want out of this marriage, and for the first year, year and a half, we really weren't. If we're not getting what we want out of marriage, maybe we're not starting at the right starting place. And it crystallized for me just a few months ago when I was having coffee with some buddies, because I genuinely believe that the caffeine and the Holy Spirit pair well together, right? So I'm like, I'm sipping my Starbucks, and I'm talking about God, and it's like, the lights came on. And I started talking to these guys about my perspective on marriage, that there are actually two views about marriage, and they both lead us to two different places. And at the end of it, these guys said to me, hey, could you, could you write that down for me? So I came back to the office, and I wrote a little manifesto about what I think marriage could look like. And two weeks later, I preached a sermon, and we called it um, "Is Paul a Male Chauvinist? I don't know if you remember that. It was back in November. Is Paul a male chauvinist? Because Paul says some things about love and marriage that on the outset look kind of chauvinistic, but as we press into it, it's actually pretty revolutionary. He was very much uh, a woman's rights kind of a guy, and we're going to talk about that today. But I preached that sermon, and I recognized from the looks on your faces, I've given you just enough information to be dangerous. But I didn't actually walk us down a path on how to experience this love in a a lasting way. I didn't take us down the road we needed to go down. I just said, hey, there's a road. Good luck. Be warm and well-fed. And so I promised you I'm going to come back to this concept of two different views of marriage and of love. And then I'm going to spend a series trying to tease it out for us, trying to give us some steps along the path. And that's what this series is. And so to, what I want to do today is just try to refamiliarize familiarize us with this concept of these two very different views of marriage. And let me be clear, both promise us the same destination, but both are getting us to two very different places. The common view of marriage is leading to the common reality of most marriages, god's view of marriage i'll just be honest from the outset it looks unfair because it is unfair but it might just get us to the place we want to go so here's the big idea for today there are two different paths that people can take in marriage. Both promise the same destination, but they get us in two very different places. And I'm going to try to lay out both and just let you choose your own adventure. You pick which path you want to go down. The first path is something like this. Marriage, and this is the common view, is a contract between two people. In the contract, I do, and you can fill in your blank, and my spouse does, and you can fill in their blank. And if both parties fulfill their part of the contract, we will live happily ever after. And, and it plays out in all kinds of different ways. I mean, I was just thinking recently in our house, my wife does most of the cooking and I do most of the dishes because uh, it's one of my, my spiritual gifts, dish washing. And so she does a lot of the cooking almost exclusively, uh, and she's good at it. And I do a lot of the eating, and I'm very good at that. And then I wash dishes. But about two weeks ago, I cooked dinner. Don't all applaud at once. <laughs> I cooked dinner, and we finished dinner, and we finished watching The Crown, and and I expected her to get up and do the dishes. Why? Because in my mind, the contract is whoever cooks doesn't have to do dishes. And we had swapped for the night. So I got up, and we're taking stuff over, and I, I said to her, well, I guess I'll do dishes, thinking that she would say, no, no, Honey you cooked tonight. I'll do dishes. That's our contract. And she said, thank you. (laughs) In that moment, we were living under a very common model of marriage, which is a contract. You do your part. I do my part. I gave some space in your notes. Husbands, this is what it traditionally looks like for husbands, and not always, and sometimes it's reversed. So please don't write into me to tell me that's, you know, that's not the way it works in my marriage. I'm just saying, oftentimes, it looks like this. Husbands are expected to make the money to support the family. That's part of their contract. Maybe they coach the kids in sports. They play with the kids. They wrestle, uh, and they protect if necessary, which I don't know about you, but I have not had many home invasions where I needed to protect my family, If I do, like if I hear something outside, I say to Maria, hey, I think there's something outside. You should go check on that. (laughs) They won't hurt a woman. But that's our contract. For wives, it looks something like this. And I left some space. You can write in your own thoughts. What is your contract? Maybe it's dishes and dinner. Maybe it's laundry and folding. For wives, sometimes it looks like this. Take care of the kids. And in that, we... We put things like homework, doctor's visits, uh, schedule. I'm flying out for this conference, and part of our contract is Maria, when we fly together, she always, she gets online and confirms our flight the day before. So this morning, I'm coming to work, and she said, well, which airline are you flying with? I said, I don't know. My assistant set it up. And she said, well, where are you staying? And I said, well, I I don't actually know that either, because I'm just not used to this part of the contract. She fills that part of the contract. So she's like, let's get online, honey. Let me walk you through this. This is, this is Google. This is how you look things up. <laughs> but she keeps the calendar, right? This is keep the house clean. That's part of a wife contract oftentimes. Prepare meals. Uh, get a job if necessary and agreed upon by your husband. And in the church, there's all sorts of different opinions about this. But that's one of our contracts. How about this one? Have sex if necessary and agreed upon by your husband part of the come on that's part of the contract and there are there are upsides there are upsides to the contract model some of the big upsides to the contract model are it's it's fair you do your part I do my part and we like fairness don't we one of the upsides of the contract model is if both parties do their part appropriately mutual respect is built. Mutual respect oftentimes turns into admiration, and admiration can turn into love. That is the, the foundation and the premise of the contract model. We both do our part. Mutual respect. Mutual respect turns into admiration. Admiration turns into love. But there are downsides of the contract model that no one is telling us about, one of the big downsides of the contract model is that you and your spouse turn into really well-organized roommates. You do your part, I do my part, we're a well-oiled machine. If you've ever gotten to a place where you think I don't actually I don't actually love you anymore. We feel more like roommates who are partnering together to take care of kids. That's one of the downsides of the contract model. Another downside is that when life gets busy, we default to the lowest common denominator of the contract. I do this only. Don't ask me to do any more. I don't have capacity to do it. And you better do your job. Another downside of the contract model is no one can keep the contract perfectly. And when your spouse doesn't keep the contract perfectly, you start wondering over time, did I pick the wrong spouse? Because my spouse is not fulfilling their side Of the contract and sometimes we start looking outside to find someone who will better fulfill their part of the contract if you've ever thought to yourself this isn't what i signed up for then you are living squarely in a contract model of marriage and could it be that you actually signed up for the wrong thing that you weren't designed marriage was not designed to be a contract between two individuals who sign a piece of paper in front of family and friends, but that marriage was designed to be deeper than that and, and more full than that and safer than that and a place to experience life. See, there's a whole other view of marriage that doesn't get talked about very often, and we're going to call it God's view of marriage because we find it in the pages of the Bible. And I want to take us to, to this guy, Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. And he'd go around to churches and he'd talk about, okay, what does it look like to live in light of the fact that Jesus really did live and die and raise again and that it's documented, that that Romans saw it and documented it, that Jewish people saw it and documented it, that Christians saw it and documented it. What do we do in light of the fact that Jesus lived, he died and he rose again, and it should change every part of life. And so he talks about practical applications of that, and he talks about marriage and a new way to experience marriage. And at first, it's going to seem a little bit—and if you've been in the church, you're going to hear this, and you're ah, you're going to pull back, because it's going to seem a little bit chauvinistic. It's going to seem a little bit outdated. It's going to seem a little bit like Paul's just putting his thumb to people. But He's not. We have to understand the ancient context that he's speaking into. So I'm going to ask us for the next 10 minutes or so to put ourselves back in an ancient Near Eastern mindset to hear Paul's words in a new way. Paul starts off this conversation about marriage by talking about everyone generically. He says to Jesus' followers generically, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence to Christ. And that word submit means surrender, lower yourself, place yourself under someone else. And actually, Jesus' followers are called to submit all over the place. We're called to submit ourselves to God, to put ourselves under God's authority. We're called to submit ourselves to governing authorities. And, uh, and I don't mean follow blindly. And if you're new with us today, I would invite you to listen to our last two weeks messages, where we talked about what does it mean to live in this world as dual citizens, citizens of this world, and citizens of what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. But we're called to submit ourselves to governing authorities. We're called to submit ourselves to spiritual leaders. And now Paul says, let me just kind of, we kind of blanket it for you. Submit yourselves to one another, to every other Jesus follower, as a way of honoring God. And you're sitting here saying, yeah, but They don't deserve to have me place myself under them. They haven't earned it. And Paul says, that's okay. You're not doing it as a way to honor the person. You're doing it as a way to honor God. He says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence or honor to God. And then he goes into how this plays out in marriage. Because if we can get this right with our spouse, we can get this right with almost every other relationship. Haven't you found that to be true? If you can figure things out in marriage or with your kids— Boy, it seems easier to figure it out with other people who you're less engaged with. And he says, let's start with wives. Wives, and again, just just listen for a second before you get excitable. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. We're going to talk about that in a second. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits itself to Christ, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And in the ancient context, in the ancient world, wives had almost no social standing. They were little more than property. And their success in society fell solely to their husband. Their protection, their provision, everything fell to their husband, who was, in that context, the head of the family. And Paul says, in the same way that you surrender your will to God, who is your ultimate savior, wives, surrender your will to your husband, who is your cultural savior. Because in that culture, it was your husband who protected you. Who cared for you, who gave you social standing, just like Jesus did as your ultimate or eternal savior, your husband did as your cultural savior. They said, Wives, it's very natural for you to surrender your will to God in the same way. Just surrender your will to your husbands. And that would not be countercultural because wives were doing this in almost every major religion in the ancient world. Because wives were just property, they had no say, they naturally were forced to submit themselves to their husband. They were property of their husbands. But what Paul's going to say next would have revolutionized the ancient world. Because then he turns to husbands and he says, Husbands, here's how you submit yourselves to your wives. Remember, Paul says, Submit one to another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, this is how you submit. Husbands, this is how you submit. Husbands, this is how you submit to your wives. Love your wife. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing with water through the word. And he presents her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. She is holy and blameless. Christ somehow does this for the church in the same way that Christ cares for the church and loves the church husbands ought to love their wives even as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, Paul says, no one hated their own body, but you feed your body. You care for your body just as Christ feeds and cares for the church. Remember, we're members of one body. And then verse 31, Paul goes into this really interesting thing. He says, for this reason, and he takes us all the way back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. No longer two people in a contract, but one flesh. It's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. And each one of you must love your wife as you love yourself. And the wife must respect her husband. Paul's saying to us, husbands, your wife is valued by God and is immeasurably valuable in this world. He's saying to husbands, guys, before your wife was your wife, she was your sister in faith. And so treat her, before she was your wife, she was God's daughter, whom he loved and gave himself for. Treat her accordingly. Your job, husbands, Paul would say your job, in a culture where, where your needs, your preferences, your desires were always first, where you always got to pick what was for dinner. Your job is to put your wife's needs Desires, hopes, dreams, meal plans first. Wives, you need to do this as well, but the truth is, in the ancient world, wives were already doing it. So, husbands, love your wives. And that word love is this ancient word. In the original language, it's the word agape, which is a self-sacrificing love. It's a self-giving love. There were all sorts of different words for love in the time the Bible was written in Greek. And this type of love specifically is a love that gives itself away. It's a love that says, what you need is more important to me than my needs. Your hopes, your dreams, your desires. And again, wives never, ever had husbands who loved them like that in the ancient world. This was revolutionary. Paul was the first feminist, ladies, empowering women to follow their hopes, their dreams, their desires. Path two is much different than path one. Path two says this, God gave marriage, not as a taking relationship, but as a self-giving relationship between two partners. And this self-giving relationship benefits the other person, and it points the world towards Jesus. There's no contract. There's no condition. There's no escape clause. The goal of marriage in God's path is to give myself completely to my spouse without, without ever asking what's in it for me. Are they meeting my needs? Are they taking care of me? Remember, I said God's view of marriage seems unfair because it is. God's view of marriage is risky. It means someone has to take the first step. Someone has to say, I'm going to put you before me, your needs before my needs, your hopes before mine. It never asks, why aren't my needs being met in this relationship? God's view of marriage always asks, how can I make your life simpler? How can I make your life better? How can I serve you best today? How can I show you how much I value you today? How can I make you feel safe today? God's view of marriage says, how can I show you that you're enough, smart enough, attractive enough, worthy enough, good enough, beautiful enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. (laughs) See, in the contract model, and this is why the contract seems to fail as much as it succeeds. In the contract model, You only win if both partners fulfill their end of the contract reasonably well. Let's say if 90% of the time both spouses do their part of the contract. But in God's model, you can win regardless of whether or not your spouse fulfills their part of the contract at all. Because in God's model, your win is irrespective of them. Winning now looks like getting home after a long day and the kids are going nuts, and you say, hey, let me help them with homework today because I'm serving you. And when I serve you, I'm winning in marriage. In God's, in God's model, it looks like getting home and saying, let me go to the grocery store. Let me go pick up those things we, we forgot, not those things you forgot. I know I cook dinner, but let me do dishes as well. Right, Maria? Come on. Can I get an amen? No, No, somebody said. (laughs) In God's model, winning looks like listening to your spouse's problems. Not saying, "I I I don't have time for this. I've got enough going on right here. In God's model, winning looks like taking off time from work to care for her, care for him, telling them what we appreciate about them. And there are at least three benefits to God's model. The first is, it's the only type of marriage that leaves us fulfilled when we're going through those inevitable or worse moments of marriage. did Did you say that in your vows? Most of us did. For better or worse. None of us really thinks about on our wedding day the or worse moments, do we? I rarely have a couple come up to me on the day of their wedding and say, Kevin, can we just, can we talk about the fine print here for a second? (laughs) What do you mean, or worse? We all assume it's going to be rainbows and unicorns. And it's just, it's just exacerbated because then we go on a honeymoon where we don't have to do anything for ourselves. And then we get home and a week later, a month later, a year later, five years later, an or worse moment comes up. And we think to ourselves, what is this? But in God's view, those or worse moments actually leave us more fulfilled. Your spouse gets cancer and cannot take care of themselves, cannot fulfill their part of the contract, cannot do for you the thing they had done for you. And all of a sudden you're winning and fulfilled in marriage because you get to love them more, serve them more, care for them more. Your spouse goes through depression and their world turns totally in and crumbles. And all of a sudden, you get to be the one to tell them, even though you feel unlovable, I still love you. and I'm still going to be here with you and for you. See, it's the only model where or worse moments actually strengthen a relationship. That couple I mentioned earlier, they've walked through cancer multiple times. And the husband has said to me, these are taking care of my wife in these days, it honestly is the best thing I can do in my life right now. Because he understands God's model. The second benefit is that it's our best shot to get what we actually want in return. Because as I'm laying out this model, every one of us wants our spouse to do this for us. Every one of us does. To put our needs before theirs, to put our hopes before theirs, to put our dreams before theirs, to put our desires before theirs. But in the contract model, we're all protecting ourselves from our spouse. I do my part, you do your part. In God's model, it might take six months or six years, but eventually if your spouse recognizes that your goal in life is to be for them, that they're safe In this relationship. And next week, Maria and I are gonna team teach on a message we're calling Safety First. How safety leads to transformation. But there has to be safety first. Eventually, if your spouse actually believes that you are for them, that their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their needs are more important to you than your desires, your hopes, your dreams, it's the best shot. There's no guarantee, but it's the best shot that they will feel safe enough to then put your desires before theirs. And while it might seem unfair from the beginning, it's the only way to get what we really want. And the third thing is this, it honors Jesus. And it is our witness to the world. Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The way that you love your spouse points the world to Jesus. If you've ever thought to yourself, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't, I don't know how to bring up faith in conversations. I don't know how to talk to people about God. Listen, all you have to do is love your spouse this way. And I guarantee you, people will ask you, why do you do that? Because the world does not treat each other this way. The marriages where a spouse puts the other's needs before their own are the exception to the rule. And you and I know we sit up and take notice of that. We love that. We aspire to be that. When we live like this, Paul says people will take notice. And it gives us an opportunity to point back to Jesus. To say, it's God. God has given me the the favor. The, The Bible word is grace. The unmerited favor. God's given me the favor to actually give grace to my spouse. And it points the world towards Jesus. This is not the path taken by most people. I just want to be clear. And the reason it's not taken by most people is because it's not fair. And we really, really like fairness. But this is the path that gives us the best shot to get where we ultimately want to go. And for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about how to walk this path together. But I want to close by saying this. Paul says the only way you can do this is to have received it first. He says, love your spouse like or in the same way that Jesus Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And what he's saying is this, Jesus has done for us the exact thing that he's inviting us to do for our spouses. Jesus, he saw that there was a gap between people and God. And that people, we could not get ourselves back to God. So Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He was fully God and fully man. And he showed us how to live in partnership with God. And then he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And sin is the things that you and I think, say, and do that hurt us, that hurt others, and that separate us from God. And ultimately, we cannot fix that on our own because we've laid in bed at night and we thought to ourselves, I'm never going to think that again or say that again or do that again or drink that again, smoke it again, look at it again. And then a week later or a month later or a year later, you're doing the very thing you didn't want to do. The reason is because sin is inside of us. And until something greater than that sin inside of us takes control of our lives, we cannot break the pattern ourselves. So Jesus gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could come back into a relationship with God and be forgiven and experience life with him. And so that we could live this life of others-oriented love, starting with our spouse and going outward into a world that so desperately needs it. And if you're here today and you've never, you've never embraced that self-giving love that Jesus has given for you, I want to invite you to do that today. There literally, there's no better day than today. Yesterday would have been a better day. But yesterday has gone. If you don't do it today, tomorrow will be a great day. But why not say yes to God today? Engage with him today. We're going to wrap our, our service time up by looking at the two ways that Jesus invites us to remember his self-giving love to us. The first is communion. There are tables all around the room that have little pieces of bread and little cups of juice. And Jesus says the bread represents his body that was broken and then given for us when he gave his life on the cross. And he says the juice represents his blood that was poured out to pay the penalty for our sin when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And he invites us, when you gather together, take communion and remember my gift of love to you. And so in just a minute, when the music plays, I'm going to invite you to go up. And if you're ready to do this as a way to to walk with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to go to these tables and grab the piece of bread and the cup of juice and come back to your seat and take communion when you're ready. And the second way Jesus says to remember his self-giving love and identify with him is through baptism. Because after Jesus was crucified, he was buried in a grave. And three days later, he rose again to new life. It was the center point in history. All of human history was separated by Jesus' death and resurrection. It was the game changer. And Jesus says, If you're a follower, if you're in partnership with me, come and be baptized. It's an outward expression of this inward transformation and come and get in the water, and be lowered down, identifying with me in my death as you die to your life by yourself, and then be raised up out of the water, identifying with me in this new life as you walk with God. So we're going we're to do those now. And I know a number of you are coming, and you're planning on getting baptized, and I'm so excited for you. I, honestly, I could not be happier. I love these days. And I'm guessing in a room this size, there are a number of us who have never actually been baptized as followers of Jesus. And I'm going to invite you, come up and be baptized today, even if you weren't planning on it. What a cool expression. I remember this story in the Bible where this guy hears about Jesus, and they're in this carriage, and and this other guy randomly is running next to the carriage, and he says, hey, what are you reading? The guy says, well, I'm reading the Bible, but I don't understand it. And this guy gets in this carriage with him, and he says, well, let me tell you what you're reading. And he explains Jesus to the guy. And as they're riding along in this carriage— The guy says, well, there's a little puddle of water over there. It must have been a flood season like we're in now. There's some water over there. What if we just got baptized right now? And the guy says to him, yes, yes, let's get baptized right now. And so he gets off, they get out of the carriage, he baptizes him, bam. It's this powerful picture. Baptism doesn't have to be this thing that you plan for months and years. Like, I got to make sure it's all right. and Is my hair done perfectly? You could be like me and you're always ready your hair's always done perfectly. (laughs) But baptism, no one cares what you look like. You're part of God's family. You're entering in. Come forward and be baptized. Like I said, we've got uh, got towels for you. We've got shirts for you. Uh, We've got video happening. We've got people taking pictures. We'll be able to get that out to your family and friends so they can see this moment. But really, this is your moment to engage with God. So in just a second, the music's going to play. Um, I'm going to be right down here. I'd love to baptize you. You could come to this side or this side. My friends will help you get ready to get baptized. Um, and then you can come forward. I'd be happy to baptize you. If you want one of the other pastors to baptize you, they'd be happy to baptize you. If you have a friend who's been really transformational in your journey with God, bring them up and have them baptize you. And you don't have to come alone. If you're here and you're thinking, I don't want to walk up there by myself, bring a friend with you to baptize you. If you don't have any friends here yet, that's okay. Grab the person next to you. Say, hey, I'm getting baptized. Come with me. I guarantee that's a good way to make friends. You share that moment, you're going to be friends. But don't let anything stop you today from coming forward. And if you're here today and you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, how cool would it be to give your life to Jesus right now, to go take communion, and then to come up and get baptized, just like that guy I told you about in the story in the New Testament, who gave his life to Jesus and immediately went forward to get baptized. I'm I'm praying that maybe that's somebody here today. Would you join me? Let's pray, and then we will continue to worship together lord we're a community looking to partner with you desiring to follow you and to know you and to know what it looks like to experience your love in such a transforming way that it just flows through us and we love others with a self-giving love i pray for my friends who are married who this series is going to be one of those those turning points in their relationship Would you give them the courage to be the one to go first in self-giving love without expectation that their spouse would give it back to them immediately? I pray for my friends who are here today who are getting baptized. Would this be a moment of remembrance as they publicly declare that they are walking in partnership with you, no longer living by themselves, for themselves, but living with you and for you from this day forward. I pray for my friends who are here who didn't even plan on getting baptized, but just as we've been sharing this time together, you're stirring in them. Holy Spirit, would you continue to stir, to to, to draw them out, that they might come forward and experience this life-changing moment of baptism with you. And if you're here today and you're ready to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, I'm gonna lead you through a simple prayer of commitment, There's no magic words to it. It's it's simply putting voice to a reality that's currently happening in your life. And you can repeat these words. You can whisper them where you're sitting or you can say them in your head because God actually hears you in these moments. So if you're ready to commit your life to God and start this journey with him, you can pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to walk in partnership with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of the ways that I've hurt others and hurt you? Would you begin to heal me from the places where others have hurt me? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.